Hello and welcome to the Hypothetic RL podcast. My name is David and it's time to have some fun with history. So this episode is going to be about a particular topic in the English game and I hope I don't lose too many of the Australian fans but it's important that you all realise that there's another hemisphere of rugby league and there's well there's a lot of other places that play rugby league. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to the Chasing Kangaroos pod for all the fantastic places that they take us to in interviews but you know basically pretty much most or quite a lot of Australian fans don't know much about the English game and this might be a not really a history lesson but it might be a good chance to to listen and and know about some of the things that may have happened in the past in England. I plan to do quite a few other ones about events in the history of the RFL and the history of the English Northern Union and things like that. This episode is something that I basically chose because I like the title of the episode. So it's going to be very interesting and hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully all the Australian fans stick around and listen. Hopefully a few fans for the English game, maybe even some people from over in, you know, in England will listen to this one or in any of the home countries. Uh, so, yeah, sit back, relax, or don't sit back if you're in a car, or if you're in a train, be careful you don't sit back over the seat, or whatever. Anyway, do whatever you need to do, but listen and enjoy. The event for today took place at the end of March, early April of 1981. It was the promotion of Wigan and three other teams from the second division of the RFL into the first division. Wigan had been competing in the second division of the RFL after being relegated the year previous and would go on beyond this season to win 13 championships and would win eight Challenge Cups in a row. They would go on to win other Challenge Cups, World Club Challenges and would be a dominant force in rugby league. Wigan is well known for being one of the most successful English clubs and one could argue one of the most successful rugby league clubs of all time. They have an extremely good winning percentage and they have a great record of championships and Challenge Cups, as I've just said. So the hypothetical for today is that Wigan is not promoted as part of these four clubs, a different club is promoted, and that Wigan does not come straight back from the second division into the first division in that season. It in fact takes them four seasons to get back into the first division of RFL and we are going to have a look at how that would have affected all the other clubs, how they would have affected Wigan itself and obviously how that would have affected the great run of eight in a row Challenge Cups and the premierships, the 13 premierships that I had won beyond this point. So for us to understand what may have happened if they were not successful in promotion in that season and what had them in the position to be in that relegation, we have to go back and rewind. Wigan was formed in 1872 as the Wigan Football Club and was one of the founding members of the 1895 Northern Rugby Football Union. Wigan had always been a successful club, maybe not right from the start, but Wigan has always had a, a great winning percentage and has the great best winning percentage of all time. Up to the time of 1980, they had won nine championships and seven Challenge Cups. But their last Challenge Cup and Premiership had been in the 1960s. They had had a roughly 20-year drought of, of no real major trophies. They had won a Lancashire Cup in the 70s, uh, defeating Salford, but 
obviously had not won the championship and had not won a Challenge Cup in that time. After Eric Ashton resigned in 1973, Wigan went through a series of coaches, a lot of one-time, one-year sort of coaches. Graham Starkey, Ted Tui, Joe Cohen, Vince Corelius, Kel Coslett, right to George Fairbairn in 1981 so he was the coach in this fateful season we're talking about uh, but all these other coaches lasted no more than three years at a time and obviously was fairly unstable for the club so I've had a look at the players during the Wigan's 19 late 1970s seasons uh, and particularly the players in the 1979-1980 season the team that was relegated after finishing 13th uh, back into the second division uh, I can't seem to find any players that I know of any great note. There's obviously the aforementioned George Fairbairn or Fairburn, or please tell me if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, who was captain coaching them through that season. And now we interrupt this podcast for a message from our sponsor. Our sponsor for today is David's inability to be able to pronounce foreign people's names. Even Fairbairn, Fairburn, however the hell I pronounce it, is obviously incorrect. Bad pronunciations. There are a couple other names, some fellas, you know, with quite a lot of appearances for Wigan, but I'm not sure of their international and their rep sort of things. I'm, we're talking about, I was one year old at the time, so and also an Australian, so I'm not going to have a lot of knowledge of that. Uh, if there's any Wigan fans out there who want to tell me about the 1970s Wigan teams and the players that I should be looking up for, I'd appreciate that. They'd be very great. Uh, but we can surmise that the 1979-1980 Wigan team was obviously not one of their greatest teams. As I said, finished 13th, was relegated. They were able to come back up. They finished second in the second division in that season, the 1980-81 season. Uh, they're only beaten by York. So the four teams that were promoted from the 1980-81 second division were York, Wigan, Fulham and Whitehaven. So Fulham is now the London Broncos. They were Fulham, it was actually their first season in the second division, so that's a pretty impressive effort. Whitehaven, obviously a team from the Cumbrian area. Uh, York, you know, now York City Knights, obviously... Not exactly the same club, but, you know, it's a club from York. Uh, and an important thing to notice is that the team that finished fifth in that race was Huddersfield. Uh, there's a couple other clubs that I know quite well in this second division. Um, and the clubs that f went out of the sec out of the first division were Halifax, Salford, Workington Town and Oldham. So some fairly well-known English clubs there, for anyone that understands, for anyone who's watched a bit of English Rugby League or knows the history. Uh, they're four pretty well-known clubs. So that brings us back to the point at which Wigan has been promoted and we're going to go back to 1980-81 and have a look what would have happened beyond that point. Wigan being a successful club as it was, they did not take too well to being a relegated second division club and on their return or even before their return they took steps to ensure that this wouldn't happen again that they would be successful uh, one of the steps was that Morris Lindsay uh, bookmaker 
join the club and obviously input a lot of his own capital and helped with another three gentlemen become the gang of four that ran Wigan and ensured their success. Uh, they brought professionalism to rugby league and to Wigan in particular and obviously were a, a big force in, in their run. So what I'm going to surmise as part of this is Morris Lindsay doesn't come to the club and in fact doesn't pump that money into Wigan and that's part of the reason why Wigan don't make it back out of the second division in the 80-81 season and it takes them those four years to get out. The second part of this hypothetical is Wigan being a second division club for four seasons would have meant that they would not have secured the signings that they did in that period. Uh, Wigan went out and signed quite a few players and obviously brought through quite a lot of juniors that if Wigan was not a first division club would not been able to afford and would not have been able to entice to their club. So having a look at the list, I think the most high-profile player who joined Wigan from Bradford uh, would have been Ellery Hanley. So Ellery was a Bradford Northern player. Bradford Northern were actually the club who won the 1980-81 Premiership uh, at the same point when Wigan were coming back into the First Division. So uh, successful club at the time and obviously Wigan would have... Uh, either paid a lot of money for him or would have you know, offered a, a large contract for him to be there uh, and join Wigan for the, that season when they signed him. Um, if Ellery Hanley doesn't join Wigan, then that's going to make a huge difference to that Wigan side that goes forward through the, the late 80s and the 90s. Uh, he was an integral part of their premierships and their Challenge Cup victories. Um, he also goes on to... Go to come to Australia and play for Balmain and get them to a grand final as well, which obviously is not really an effect on Wigan, but um, is you know something that I remember from being a child uh, and seeing him play for the, the Tigers and play for Western Suburbs later on. Um, you know, Ellery Hanley's a, a very well-known player all across the globe, and you know Wigan may not have secured him. Uh, you'd imagine that unless he particularly hated Bradford. I don't really know the history of Ellery Hanley too much, so he probably would have stayed with Bradford rather than going to Wigan. So Bradford probably would have had a little bit more success than they did, and obviously Wigan somewhat less. So the second player that we're going to have a look at is Sean Edwards. Uh, Sean Edwards is another player who very well known for being a, a Wigan champion. Uh, his father actually played uh, for Warrington, in the 50s and 60s, a standoff and a scrum half. Uh, Edwards was born in, in Wigan itself, but you'd imagine that you know a young player coming through, it's the opportunity to play in the first division. He's going to take that opportunity rather than playing for his local second division team. Uh, and with his father being an ex-Warrington player, I'd surmise that Edwards probably would have ended up at Warrington rather than at Wigan and would have helped their success over that period through the 80s and the 90s and that's what I think would have happened with him. The last player on my list is Henderson Gill. Henderson was a Bradford Northern player for two seasons then played for Rochdale in the 80-81 season. He had 31 appearances, scored 18 tries and by all counts he impressed Wigan so much that they threw a bunch of money at him and uh, 
pretty much what I know of him is seeing him in the 1985 Challenge Cup final, uh, where he played for Wigan, obviously, in that victory. And, you know, very speedy player, obviously added something to that Wigan outside backs and was, you know, an integral part of their team from 1981 to right to 1989. He ended up going back to Bradford Northern uh, from 89-92, but obviously, you know, a integral part. Um, and if his nickname wasn't The Fish, I'd be very, very upset. Uh, so they're three of the... I'd say most well-known players that you would imagine that would not have gone to Wigan. There's probably quite a lot of others. Uh, it'd be very hard to tell exactly who wouldn't have gone and things like that. But if you imagine no Sean Edwards, no Ellery Hanley, no Henderson Gill, there's other players in that list as well. Obviously, you know, players coming over from Australia. You had Brett Kenny in 85 as well as John Ferguson. Uh, Chica Ferguson, if you want to... Refer to him by his nickname. I didn't know his name was John for many years, and you know those players were not going to come over for those half seasons, the Australian off season, as well to a to a club who was probably struggling. You'd imagine that that's that's where the direction of this is going. You're not going to attract the same amount of talent if you're not playing in the first division. And now we interrupt this podcast for a message from our second sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by recruiting of Australian players. Sometimes you get quality like Sterling and Kenny and Wally Lewis, and sometimes you get David Taylor. Recruitment of Australian players. The next thing to look at is how Wigan not going up in the 1980-81 season would have affected the other teams in the league, obviously the teams around them. So we still would have had York, Fulham, Whitehaven going up, and... If Wigan hadn't, then the team that finishes fifth that season in the second division is Huddersfield. So we surmise that Huddersfield would have gone up. Uh, if you have a look at the following season, Wigan avoid being rele- relegated in that next season. Uh, they don't do that well in the season. They obviously still finish 11th, but they ain't relegated. Uh, so we surmise that if Huddersfield had gone up, if you look at Huddersfield season they finish 11th in the second division the next year, the 81-82 season. So you'd surmise that uh, rather than Wigan staying up, Huddersfield would have come back down, uh, which means that if you have all the teams who were in that... So if you have all the other four other teams, the team that finishes 13th who just uh, gets relegated is Fulham. Uh, so you'd imagine that in that season... Form go up and then don't get relegated the next season, which would mean that when we look at this again, the next season afterwards, Fulham finishes top of second division. So you'd imagine that that's hopefully enough for them to not go down again. So we have a situation where Fulham is going to be in the first division for three successive seasons, and it's probably going to lead to a lot more success for them. They when they go up again, they come back down again. They were a very yo-yo team through that early 80s. So I'd imagine with just that little bit of less interference from Wigan being there, that they're going to be the team that's probably going to be staying up. Uh, I don't know if they would have had the same success as what Wigan would have had. You know, they they obviously weren't quite as good a team, um, but they would have obviously had those extra seasons and that might have been enough for them to get a little bit of extra support and 
might have been enough for that club to be a lot more successful than they were in the long term. Uh, having a look at all the other teams, I don't think there's too much other effect to any other teams. If we're talking about you know, championships and things like that, Wigan didn't really prevent anyone from a championship until obviously they take one in the late 80s. Uh, by that time, we're looking at a much better Wigan team as well. So if we have a look at the situation of what happens with Wigan after 80-81, they obviously win the 1985 Challenge Cup, a uh, fairly famous game amongst Australian fans of the English game, especially Paramount fans, because you've got a game with Hull on one side with Peter Sterling and a game with Wigan on the other side with Brett Kenny. Uh, first time they'd played against each other and, you know, obviously a fairly historic moment for Parramatta fans, that great halves partnership playing on opposite sides in a Challenge Cup final, which is one of the most exciting Challenge Cup finals I think I've I've seen. We probably wouldn't have got that game. Instead, looking at the results and from who won the semi-finals and obviously who Wigan beat in that semi-final, we ended up with a Hull-Hull FC derby as the 1985 Challenge Cup, which would have been very exciting, but I'm not sure whether Brett Kenny would have been playing for Hull KR. I don't know whether he would have, I'm assuming he still would have gone over. I don't think he would have gone to Wigan, probably would have gone to one of the other clubs. So you'd be looking at maybe one of the other, maybe St Helens or Leeds or something like that. I think that, you know, with Hull being so close to beating Wigan in that game and being the way that it was, I think that that would have mean that maybe Hull would win the 985 Challenge Cup, which is you know obviously good for them, but it would have robbed us of a very interesting match between you know Sterling and and Kenny. And now we interrupt this podcast for a message from our last sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by the City of Hull. Go there, and you'll have a hull of a time. At this point, it's important to mention that. Obviously, Wigan, even though they would have spent some time down the lower divisions and, you know, maybe not have had the same amount of backing, have always been a very proud and successful club. I'd imagine that their appointments from 86 and 87 would probably still stand. So if we're having a look at what happens, the most important appointment for that club is Graham Lowe becomes the coach in 1986 uh, through to 1989. And then beyond that, John Money becomes the coach from 89 through to 93. That's the period in which they win those eight Challenge Cups in a row and they win championships as well. And this is all the back of them signing players like Andy Gregory, Martin Afire, Joe Lydon, Kevin and Tony Iroh and Dean Bell. You would have to say that despite not having you know, Ellery Hanley at the point they did, they might have gone out and bought him. Uh, they might have bought in... Sean Edwards, they might have brought in some other quality players. I can't really tell you if that's going to affect them winning those eight in a row, but the team that would have been accumulating over that time that they would have been trying to, to build up, I think we've got to say that we're still going to give Wigan eight in a row for their Challenge Cups. So that in essence, the only thing we're going to do is take the 1985 Challenge Cup off Wigan and have their success being a bit less so in that 80s period. Obviously, you know, that'd be the dark days of Wigan. As it is, 80-81 is a, is a bit of a sore spot for them, I would imagine. It's probably the you know, the one time that they've been relegated to a second division. So going forward, you know, if you want to stir up a Wigan fan, you can probably talk about from 80 through to 84 and 84-85 season, and that would make that a whole lot worse. But 
in essence, the only thing that they miss out on in that whole period is that one Challenge Cup. They would still then probably turn around and talk about getting eight Challenge Cups in a row and the amount of premierships that they have won and obviously gone on to win in the future. I don't think you're going to affect any of those. This club would have obviously come back with a vengeance and would have been a dominant club as they are. So I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and if you'd like to contact me I am available for contact on hypotheticrl at gmail.com or on twitter at hypotheticrl and I'd really love to hear from maybe not just particularly English fans but any fans of, of the English game and let me know if I've totally butchered this one and I'd like to know about any other situations any other English history that we could do hypotheticals for because it's something that I think would be very interesting for Australian fans and English fans alike. Obviously, if you're an English fan, you've just tuned in, please have a listen to some of my other ones. They are obviously very Australian-focused, but some very interesting things in the history of rugby league, and I hope that you will enjoy them and listen to the upcoming episodes. Bye.